3: Still have, like, does people have so much potential? Yeah. That when you put down drink uh, for a period of time, that it, uh, you can blossom. Then you know.
4: Well, I just got a flash there. I'll share it with you. Go ahead. You know, people talk about life beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. And some people think there's a terrible cliche in it, yeah, and it's yeah. corny. But I realised I was about two years in recovery. I was in Dingle Bay at six o'clock in the morning with my two sons and Fungi come up with a salmon in his mouth to show it to no, no way. And I'm out in the bay in a wetsuit, isn't it? Yeah. And with two sons and the only kids at the time. And I said, this is a life beyond my wildest Yes. Yeah. And was, what a magical moment that was. That yeah. memory wouldn't exist
5: if you were on the drink. Absolutely. But it's the, the actually be able to appreciate it Something. because you're actually aware there's nothing in control of your head. Like when, when we're drinking, the only thing thoughts we have is drink. Yeah. More drink. Where am I going to get more drink? But when you're in recovery, you can actually see beauty for what it is. You can see the ocean exactly. for what it is, the exactly. trees, yeah. the leaves. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and that's what, like, if anybody's ever asking me, you know, how am I ever going to enjoy myself again before yeah. I go up to drink? <laughs> oh, you see, it's something you learned. you know, beauty will start coming into your life yeah. that you never, ever, ever knew. Like Peace I, of mind. And yeah. I remember when I was drinking and drugging and say, for example, I went to the walk. And I was next to a fellow who wasn't drinking a normal chap or whatever. he turned around and say, Jesus, isn't this beautiful? I'd say, yeah, it's grand, it's beautiful. You know, but I wasn't really saying yeah. it wasn't telling the truth. Yeah. But today, when I see something that's beautiful, like, yeah. I'd, I'd say it's, it's absolutely yeah. beautiful because I can appreciate it. You know,
3: you have a first affinity with Cork. You have a first connection with Cork. You have a lot of Cork songs or uh, songs by Cork artists. How, like when was your first Cork memory I was the first
4: Cork gig you did or- oh god well, the first the first gig I did in, in, in Cork was with Planksty in the City Hall in 1972 and a lot of us think that that was the night that Planksty took off we were playing support to Donovan and we just took off that night yeah. but then I came back that would have been 72 1978 I was solo again and the late Kenny Lee gave me my first solo gig in Cork and uh, that was the start of it. And then I started connecting with people. There's a great guitar player in Ballyfahan called Neshi Comerford. And I did a bit of playing with Neshi Comerford and uh, Jimmy Crowley and then a met Declan Sinnott and, you know, John Spillane and Ricky Lynch. And the great songs came my way from Cork, you know. I, I first heard uh, Jimmy McCarthy in 1979 in the meeting place in Dublin. He was in a band called Southpaw. And that's the first time I heard him singing Right On Mm. and a couple of years later I asked him would it be okay for me to sing Right On and then all his other songs, The Contender, Bright Blue Rose, Missing You, then John Spillane comes in the scene and it's John's songs. Mm. I think John is the greatest songwriter of my lifetime. Really? Yeah. Of the songs Mm -hmm. I've encountered. John has such beauty in his mm. song like Goethe Toggart.
5: That's a beautiful song. Oh, you sang that at the, the Opera House. It's I just yeah. a, a gorgeous song. I actually started getting very emotional listening to that yeah. song because it was bringing him back into his childhood and he was talking about how it was in the country. It so. So sounded
4: lovely too. Where he beautiful,
5: was.
4: yeah. You know, the place is called Goethe Toggart and I had the privilege of visiting his Auntie Mary's farm out near Bantry. And he took me around all the places that are mentioned in the song. Mm. And, but now when I sing the song, I don't think of go to I think of my own father's home place. Lovely. All the fields and the Haggart and the Hayshed and the bog and, you know, so J- John is beautiful.
5: He is, uh, yeah.
4: And yeah. um, When did you get
3: the idea to, so you, you, you wrote a, a song about your connection to Cork and why,
4: why you like Cork. Or, when did the idea for that song come? Uh, myself and Mick were driving down, like, like we, we, I've played the marquee every year since it started. Mm thing seventeen years. And we're driving down this year. I said, Jeez Mick, it'd be great to write an old song about the marquee and I started writing it on the way down. And I thought I'd do it that night, but I did it at the sound check and it was terrible.
5: <laughs> so you wrote it within the car driving the I way? I started of... I started it. Oh yeah.
4: And then when I was doing the, the gig in the Opera House for Don and the Cork Life Centre, yeah. Yeah. I said, Jeez, I will have to have a go at this song. Yeah. So I, I spent a few weeks at it and I did it that night, and I haven't done it since. But I've been working on it. Yeah. That was that night. Was great. Want to give it? Want
5: to give it a blast? No.
4: Yeah. I, look, I, 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 it was through your yeah. podcast that yeah. I, I met Don. You know? Yeah. Actually, yeah. do you want to tell us the story? Sing the
3: song first, yeah. and we'll tell the, the dance story afterwards. The Leash yeah. connection. Oh.
4: Saturday night, pat and tige, all together in the big marquee. The cork examiner says to me Why do you keep coming back, year after year? The answer's plain and simple, Mick, The reason's very clear. It's the reels in Ring of Skiddy, And the jigs in line. Ricky Lynch in the corner house, He's like a vintage wine. oh come on christy smarten up there he's like a vintage wine it's the crack and shark in Ireland, and the haken union hall and the turbid cut upon cape clear you can eat the bones and all on the banks the banks the beautiful banks on the banks of the river lee there night were packed and tied all together in the big marquee Puccini's in the Opera House, Karl Marx in the Conley Hall, Joe Max in the Arcadia, the two Norries are on the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Maggie Barry's on the call, Kid Jimmy Crowley's in the Ran-tan-tan. Sound Isabel, Hank Waddell, and the Maestro John Spilland. Here's Katrina Toomey, she's coming up the mall, to cook the penny dinner, to feed the great and small and there goes Don O'Leary on the road to Sunday's well up to the Cork Life Centre for to ring the morning bell on the banks, the banks the beautiful banks and the banks of the River Lee sat there the night were packed and tied all together on the big marquee I took a wrong turn at Duncattle upon my soul down the Jack Lynch Tunnel Woke up in the Metropole And all along McCurtain Street Till I came to Patricks Hill Big Knowles said keep coming back And by God I surely will Back to the English market Back to that scene Where a well-known cork fishmonger Met Her Majesty the Queen He brought the cockles and the mussels Caviar and lobster tail the periwinkle drove the poor old queen completely off the rails on the banks, the banks, the beautiful banks and the banks of the river lay sat there the were packed and tied all together in the big marquee oh oh the, the lonely woods of Upton the boys of Fair Hill, the piper of Crossbury I hear him still I see the blood and bandage when I hear the rebels sing. I'm going to kiss that Blarney stone when the bells of Shandon ring. On the banks, the banks, the beautiful banks, on the banks of the river, only Saturday night we're packed in times all together. i the big market.
6: didn't hear Tom that was driving, but they heard the lads and they were calling everybody's name. And then if they couldn't see somebody, they'd cycle away and they'd come back. I have him, I found him. And then there would be a sigh of relief from everybody because everybody wanted to make sure all the lads that were on the bikes wanted to make sure that everybody came through this. And that was just a remarkable thing to see the way that they worked so hard to make sure that, um, that everybody was seen to, and they'd asked, did you see such a person if they couldn't find them, but to see them peddling away like mad. And they covered some serious ground on the bikes and we just hit every place. Again, the lads, it brought them to a whole new place for themselves as well when they were being of service. And I suppose a basic fundamental thing for anybody to have inside them is to be allowed to be of service to somebody. And the lads were, were given that freedom. And we didn't have to do anything, only drive around with the food. They took care of the whole lot of it. But the camaraderie, they knew everybody's name. And they knew where everybody was used you know, would sit or hide out or something like that, but they they would know how to get everybody very quickly, and um, you they'd come back and they'd say, "You better come down here and have a look at him. See, is he all right?" They were very caring in yeah. the whole lot of it, and I saw like that when we were a new warehouse. I was saying, you know, I'd love the lads to to be trained in as first responders because I saw such a great deal in them, and it was I suppose a privilege for me to see the lads just doing so well at this. And what they were capable of doing and when they found that their strength you know that they had to rely on each other to do this and that they didn't have to come back to me to say is it all right if i do this or all right if i do that i just said do it and they went off and they did it and just to see that and to see how much they grew was just truly remarkable
5: do you know the lads know that you're on about just to let our viewers know the lads that were driving these mountain bikes were 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 people that were homeless themselves had addiction problems yeah. mental health problems but we're all uh in recovery yeah you know and they were doing well through connecting with penny dinners do you want to uh, well, tell us a little they
6: were the lads from the recovery group and when i was thinking of how to kind of look after the people that would be sleeping rough i i just it just came to me the bikes just in a flash or something and then who would do it and i said no better than the lads because they're a great sense of fun no matter what and i know they would lighten the spirit for anybody because some nights would be out and the laughter was unreal but we had tears as well so it was the recovery group did all of this mm. and what a job you know, and like, I'd say they're only waiting now for the next crisis because they want to know what they'll be doing. They'll probably be looking for mopeds or something. But I uh, think uh, <laughs> that
3: that that point in time was captured brilliantly by um, Daniel Corker of Rollover Roll Over Films. Remember we done that? We done that. Um, he just shows the Cork city in complete yeah. lockdown. And like what we do, what we forget about is people that are linked in with charities like yourselves, um, key workers, support workers. Everybody was gone home. And People still needed the support. And, and and his videographer or videography showed a completely silent city and me narrating on it. And then it comes to the boys and the bikes yeah. with the smiles and the and the dinners. And I suppose that was pine as well for me in terms of I was working with um on a team kind of collaboration between the Cocky T B, the Drugs Task Force, HSC, City Council. There was about six or seven of us there um any homeless person that had symptoms they would need to isolate so we were coordinating the isolation mm. putting them into b&bs if the b&b couldn't provide a dinner we contact ourselves. the boys then were bringing the dinners up to yeah. them and we were just trying to make it as comfortable as as we could so that they could isolate yeah. and there was, some of them had success stories out of it we were able to place people in better places yeah. afterwards than before they came in mm-hmm. you know so like there was a lot there was a lot happened over there was the lockdown huge,
6: yeah it was and a huge effort even going to the you know to the hotels now the b&b's with the food and we went to a huge amount of vulnerable people and we had one guard they used to go to a man his whose, whose daughter lived in holland and she couldn't get to a, to see she couldn't come home over the the virus and she was worried about her dad so she contacted my sister who contacted me and we said okay we'll check in on him and the guard used to go, Ken used to go put with a hamper to him and then Ken would get the daughter on the phone and he used to watch the dad, like, you know, he was in his 80s talking to the daughter in Holland, but it was, there was a load of those stories and, like, the lads were doing it and they were giving people the phone if they needed for, to, to, to ring somebody. Like, there was no ending to what mm. the lads did and they left no stone unturned, but going to the B&Bs and going to the hotels was very sad because... People and children would be sitting on the steps, you know, on the stairs when we'd be coming and the lads would come back and they would be very affected by it. They said, that looks awful. And I said, no, it looks wrong. It shouldn't be happening. And it should never have happened. It should not have happened at all. And this is one thing I would urge the government to strongly think of, that when you put somebody someplace, feed them don't have them waiting independent, and depending on somebody to come along to feed them. They should put that, have put that in place because to see the children sitting on the steps or standing outside hotels or standing outside B&Bs for when we'd come along with the dinners, that was very sad to look at and very, very wrong. And it, it did affect, you know, the lads. I suppose we're used to seeing things in penny dinners, but the lads, even though some of them would have said we'd have been like that at one time, when they saw it, in a different light and from the light that they saw it from they wanted to do more and you could see them chatting and with the meetings and penny dinners we run meetings twice a week and it was connor tommy and alan started the meetings inside and they're very successful now and again like saying i'm very proud of them is kind of not even doing them justice but what i'm proud of is the fact that they realize like that everybody needs some bit of help and that they're able to give help now, and they're able to pull people along, and I've seen them pull loads of people along, or they'd come up and they'd say, waste of time, and I'd be saying, stay at it for another little while, and they would, and it would would happen. But it's, again, the government should be looking, I suppose, at what we do. We have plenty of solutions. Talking about the doom and gloom with the government is useless because they know it and they have letters morning, noon and night from everybody about the doom and gloom that's in this country. And when I say that, it's just the hardship, the pain that many families are um, affected by. And of course, they might email the government or write to their local TD or whatever. So the government are well aware. But what they're not tapping into is the likes of us at Penny Dinners who have solutions that will work i understand that completely you yeah. know
3: um. but in previous times where i'd be in prison and in treatment centers i always viewed that as respite yeah like there was times where prison saved me from death mm-hmm. do you know what i mean i'd be so bad i went to court and the judge gave me six months or ten months or whatever it's two months sometimes it would just be enough time to regenerate mm-hmm. but it was always seen as respite to get out and use again this time was different this time was this was up this wasn't respite for me it was like rebirth Mm -hmm. it was like you're going to become a different person here james you're going to give it your all and um you know after the detox the eight week detox you're going to the residential treatment which is just it's in the same facility you know across the car park like 16 weeks in there bearing mind, out to me where we're from um the facade Mm. Do you know the
5: the grandos yeah, yeah. like
3: you've a wall in front yeah there's mm-hmm. no emotions being shown you deal with um you deal with any disrespect or any adversity with confrontation mm. you know and uh, the same mm. thing is in prison it's the same bullshit Do you know it's like you have to you have to kind of leave off the impression that you're a hard man and you're this yeah. and that and the other Do you know prison and the street is the same mm. and that's why you found it so easy in both areas it was the same yeah. front i went into the treatment center with all them street behaviors street attitudes street mentality and i tell you now i found it so difficult because i don't know if you, in the treatment centers you were in but yeah. ratting is a big thing yeah. you know so like if you see me slipping back into all behaviors you'll tell my counselor and then he can flag it with me so yeah. we don't slip. but like to me that's like one of the number one things you don't do up around here mm-hmm. is rotting somebody, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But all that street mentality, you know, I dealing with people that I didn't really get on with in treatment and just, you know, anger issues with frustration and conflict, all these things, like, mm-hmm. you know, was jeopardizing my yeah. chance to stay there. Because, it, like, when you're in the real world, you can't be dealing with people that you don't get on with mm-hmm. like that, with for confrontation and anger and all this. So I had to do anger management up there and I had to. To do all this, these things and you know, cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, change my thought patterns, look at my core beliefs.
5: It sounds to me that you had an awful lot of awareness, you were able to grasp these things initially, you know, which is fantastic. You know, it just shows how much, yeah, you wanted to get well, yeah, you
3: know. But I remember when I was in the residential gaff about six weeks, right? I didn't open my mouth now in the groups and the sessions and stuff because. I felt if I didn't say anything, he'd skip by me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I not feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so he says to me after about five or six weeks, he says, "James, he says, you're around here. He says, you're walking, you're doing your thing, no trouble. You shouldn't be here at all. Mm-hmm. You've no issues. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with you. What are you doing here? And it was just about not leaving myself vulnerable in front of the group. I just, I just found it so hard. He come to me. How, how are you doing, James? I'm grand. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I got away with that for about a month or two month or six weeks but eventually they got stuck on me do you know what I mean and it was just about leaving yourself vulnerable in front of mm. a group had a big issue with that was mm. like where we're from to me it's nothing I have to do yeah. that like yeah leave yourself yeah. vulnerable in front of a group and you may forget about mm. it because that's it
5: weakness you, or else you just you have that we you could be build. used against you yes and you might be hurt even more yeah
3: you know but if you don't like he used to say to me leaving yourself vulnerable in front of people you know in a controlled group with therapists is a safe place to do he says it's a risk but it's a healthy risk and you know healthy risk taking has been a fact of life since Mm. you know what i mean and by leaving yourself vulnerable in front of people talking about some issues that you have going on for you it just helped me to open up more um became more open with the counselor and you know it just really helped me it was a very hard thing for mm-hmm. me to do initially once i once i learned to trust people that if i say stuff about like if i lose the facade mm-hmm. if i lose the facade and leave myself vulnerable i'm not going to be i'm not going to regret it yeah. i'm going to be accepted for who i am and there's going to be no judgment and no mm-hmm. shame and it doesn't matter what i've done or who i am i was going to be met every day by the counselor unconditional positive regard like, they didn't care what I'd done. They just mm. wanted to help me.
7: I think you're ready for a treatment centre. And that was when I picked up the phone at Table Lodge. Um, and I got an, an appointment for an assessment. I went down there. Done the assessment. Again, a staff member from Cork Lines came down with me. Um, I really needed that support, Do you know, along the way. I didn't have any family around me. I t- Like, we were all... I had Nobody literally around me at this point. Went down, done the assessment, and I remember at the time, Fifty Cent was after coming. He was coming to Cork, and I was after getting a ticket for him. And um, I was after been given the date, but it was it was clashing with my concert for Fifty <laughs> Cent, so that wasn't going down too well at yeah. all with me, like. Yeah. So I was saying, look, if I, if I have Fifty Cent, the concert is coming up. If I if I come in now, well, the date that they were giving me. Will you let me out then for tonight for 50 cents? I'll come back after the concert is over. And they were looking at me, stupid, Phil, the woman that was there at the time. Mm -hmm. She was like, you can't do that. We can't. I was like, but you can test me. You can test my earrings. And they were like, no, you can't do that. I was like, look, well, we'll put the bed on hold. So on till 50 cents is over and I'll come back. That was on a Friday. That assessment took place. On the Monday, I was on the phone begging them for my bed. And I remember Phil saying to me, she's long gone out this stage, but I remember Phil saying to me, but what about this 50 cent fella? Do you know, I was like, oh, I actually don't care about it, I need to So I got in there, and while I was there, the concert was on, and all of this stuff. And um, and I'm so glad that yeah. I made, yeah. that I had, first of all, that I had that experience over the weekend, because it was an off weekend I was after having. That again, brought me to the place where yeah. I was, you're right, you're going to do something here, you're going to die. This is mm-hmm. the reality of it. Like.
3: And do you know what, It's a good point, because <laughs> we get a lot of people contacting us, yeah. they want help so we like we're not therapists mm-hmm. we can only tell them what we did and see if that works for them but sometimes people want the recovery Why don't, and we say look I'm, my life is unmanageable I'm full of addiction my yeah. wife is throwing me out my kids blah 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 I need help and we say do you know what? try residential treatment mm-hmm. oh I tried it before it's not for me you have to if you want recovery, yeah. you'll make the sacrifices yeah. and you'll just fucking do you, you it. Go get to, rid yeah. of the excuses. Yeah. You, if you have to get rid of the excuses, whether it be 50 cents, that's just another example. Hmm. You know, you have to get rid of the excuses. Yeah. The recovery has to be the number one mm-hmm. thing. Because yeah. uh, without recovery, Absolutely. nothing else yeah. is possible. Yeah. Yeah.
7: And, and I thing. remember yeah. when the day came for that, for me to go into Table Lodge, like it was, I was literally skipping down the road yeah. because I just see it. At that point, it was like, this is my way out. Mm. This is my chance. This is my way out. Um, I could see that there was, there was some bit of hope there. Yeah. Um, And I remember going in there and like, full affair.
5: You were at the end, you were at the end, like, uh, the reason I know you were at the end, like towards the end of James's addiction, yours, mine, it was all about suicide. Oh it is, that's what it all ends up. And listen, we we, were, James, we don't say this to scare anybody, any, any family member to have a family member in, 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 addiction that are completely destroyed and they don't know what to do we don't say this frighten them that that's coming down the line or anything like that we're only speaking about our own experiences mm. which are quite similar and mine was the same I remember walking out of court and wanting to just walk over and jump into the river mm. you know every time I used at that stage I didn't want to wake up and I was taking large quantities of drugs so yeah. and passing out and you know that's how it was, you know, and, and yep. unfortunately, I went down your route as well. Yep. I went to the doctor. I asked the doctor for. Uh, I told him I was I, I wasn't well, and he put me on meds, and he also got me to see his, a doc a counselor. And from there on, I managed to get myself into Table Lodge as well. I hadn't the foggiest clue. What was going on? I thought I was going in there, and I was going to be coming out, and I could go home, and I could go out in the weekend, with my wife, mm-hmm. and go home and have a drink. Normal yeah. things changed in there. My life just changed. Yeah. I had no awareness. Still, I had any clue what they were talking about because intellectually, I, I wasn't able to understand a lot of the stuff they were what you talking about. But when you're
7: about. down there, and you're like they're talking, like oh, I remember being down, and I don't yeah. mean to call you, don't to me, but I remember being down yeah. there. It was like it was like a nursery. <laughs> that's the only way I could describe it because we were like a lot of children running around the place mm.
5: But that's, you know that's, what I mean? that's, do you know what that makes a lot of sense it
7: was actually in our straight a preschool yeah. we were all running around the place we didn't know what was going on around yeah. us and we were all half mad yeah. from shit. we were ne- mental like makes
5: a lot of sense because uh, what this say is what I've heard right, is when people do stop drinking they go back to the, the, the age that they mm. they, they started up. you yeah. know and um, So it makes a lot of sense yeah. when you think like that because the the mind is yeah. gone as well. The mind is uh, racing at that time. Uh, you people
3: know. people that are on the cycle of addiction in prison, they don't mature mentally at all. <laughs> like yeah. I was a teenager from the age of 15 to 28. Mm-hmm. It was only when I was 28 when I come out of treatment to start doing a bit of personal development. But then I kind of... Mm-hmm
5: grew up, yeah. you know, I matured. I'm the exact same. I think I might have even been seven or eight mm-hmm. because it was that young, that yeah. stuff, you know, I just, I always felt like it was the child in a conversation. Yeah. Like I could be talking to, even when I was in prison I would walk around the yard and I was talking to the lesbian. I, I was. I felt so inferior, you know, yeah. if that's the right word. Inferior, right? Yeah. inferior yeah. yeah. You know, if was, I was like I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know how I could even put, even put a sentence together. It
7: like, yeah, well, yeah.
5: constantly.
7: Yeah, I can relate so. to that, um, and I, I struggled with a lot of that as well, especially early recovery. And um, that would have, you know, I would have battled with a lot of that kind of stuff. But I suppose just to kind of uh, fast forward a bit. Um,
3: you come out, You went. Did you do aftercare? To,
7: um I went into Table Lodge. I I was also treated at that point as well for an eating disorder, so I was in there for like the five weeks or something. Um and then I came out and um,
5: Can you touch off that a small bit there the, the the eating disorder if you'd like that?
7: The eating disorder, I suppose that was oh was um that was I'm just mindful of the time now as well.
5: No,
8: you're fine what the okay well, the time.
7: Yeah. Um, the disorder. I suppose that would have always been there on some level. Body dysmorphia as well. Um, I suppose when I was very young, I I would have I was very thin. Like there was no saying I wasn't. And I used to be looking at other people and I used to be thinking, Oh, I need to put on weight, even though I couldn't put on weight. So then I'd start wearing pantses underneath my jeans to make me look like I had more weight on my legs, and it was just all of that kind of stuff. And I know there's probably a lot of females out there who can relate to that on yeah. some level. Um but with the eating disorder then I would binge, I could I would restrict, I would binge, um compulsively overeat, purge. Yeah. That was all going on. Um bulimia. Yeah. Yes, bulimia. It was bulimia. And <clears throat> and I know you had somebody on recently as well, Lorna, who spoke very well. Um yeah. I really enjoyed her podcast. I, I could relate to a lot of things, mm. situations different, but um, Is the disease really? And uh, and I was that person that thought the doctor was jealous of me because the doctor was telling me I was you're you're on the weight you're seriously on the weight. Mm. Um, but I had it in my head. I just kept going, kept exercising, kept the restriction. Um, and in the meantime, in the middle of UCC, with all of this as well going on,
0: mm.
7: do you know what I mean? Like there was lo- th- like that 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 part of it was really difficult. That part of my disease, the disorder, was really difficult
3: is but, that something that followed you in early recovery when you got out
7: yes it did it did follow me in early recovery um, I was consumed myself I was consumed yeah. with how I looked and how I thought people saw me and um, and today none of that matters what people think really <laughs> um,
3: it's just a feeling of inferiority yes. like what Timmy spoke yeah.
7: about
3: yeah. how does that yeah, impact as a, a developmental trauma in what ways does that evolve
0: well, it creates... Uh, I would say that what happens is that... Uh, and, of course, sometimes that's transgenerational, that yeah. people are bringing it mm. together. Um, so that, that actually gets us to think about what do we mean by trauma. Mm. And that's a very important question. And Vessel, uh, your friend yeah. that we spoke about, Vessel van der Kolk, Vessel would say trauma is not what happened in the past. It what, it's what continues to be living in us. Mm. And uh, be, we're living as if the past is still in the present. Yeah. So I would say that the question you're asking is so vital. Mm. How, do, how do the circumstances around us generate trauma? Mm. So the circumstances around us generate trauma in this way, that... In the normal course of dealing with challenges so challenges like we mentioned conflict uh, domestic abuse um alcohol uh, substance abuse all the things that fall out of that poverty um, and yeah. and all the things that go along with that overcrowding mm. sexual abuse yeah. and you know but not just those things but also uh what we would say things that people need but didn't yet unmet yeah. needs uh, so a, a baby that was born, but somehow wasn't reached. There wasn't somebody there to be able to mirror and comfort, comfort and support and nurture and all of that. When this happens, it overloads the system. Mm. We're not able to digest it. Mm. It, it. It it's It's too much. And what happens then is that our system puts up sets up a defense yeah yeah and the first defense it sets up is what's often talked about as fight and flight mm-hmm. we, we we charge up and we either want to escape or we want to fight back mm. and i'm sure i don't have to say that if you travel around uh, different parts of the city and other places you will find say teenagers and they might have hoods up mm. and these are little babies inside, yeah. but you'd swear they were going to kill you.
5: The demeanor that they yeah, have is, right. is very angry. Because
0: they have anger and they have fear, and the two are running hot mm. together. And you have them inside in schools, and teachers know this well. And uh, I would be working sometimes with people from schools and you know, helping them along with stuff. And they, they, the teacher would look at them and say, have you got your homework done? No, Why? Don't you talk to me like that. And then you have...
3: It's just a trauma response.
0: The trauma response is kindled and is ready to go. (sighs) You get out. And then they're outside and they're gunning for the teacher because the whole thing, their energy is up. That, That fight and flight response is ready on the go if it's cultivated in their earlier life.
1: Uh, like wanted, you know, and I remember I was like living feral in Hyde Park everyone was like looking for me and I was sleeping rough and eating out of bins in the park thinking no one would find me here and then two cops found me and brought me back to the hospital do you know what, mm-hmm. what I mean? But it took years of kind of therapy and treatment and getting the right support
3: How did you end up in the psychiatric hospitals in England? What happened there?
1: Oh I had a breakdown didn't I? I ended up
3: <laughs> Losing it
1: <laughs> oh, Fuck yeah, yeah. Like, proper snapped one night and i thought "Fuck! It, i'm gonna end my life that's it i'm gone so i thought i a bridge in london and we went up and climbed the bridge and uh, it was one of the main transport links into into central london so we shut down pretty much uh, half of that transport network uh, for the greater london area and um, ended up with a four-hour standoff with the metropolitan police they thought it was like some sort of you know initially I think they thought it was an attack and then they didn't and then I was like Jesus just and then cops be shouting fucking jump and like all that stuff and then the negotiator was there and I just had a complete breakdown mm. and, I, and it was just because I couldn't
5: handle the emotions couldn't handle
1: the emotion. Could, didn't love myself mm. hated everything about me um, I just wanted to escape from the reality that I was living in can,
0: and then the uh, fella yeah. that got
1: me off the streets in Dublin uh, he gave me a job working in London that's how I ended up over there
0: do you
5: know you were actually dealing with all that shit, right? Without a substance or or alcohol in your life, like that's what we've, we we mm. would have used, and a lot of other people would have used substances and alcohol. Do you know the black on all that?
1: I would have drank a bit, yeah. but I wouldn't have been like.
5: There was no chronic addiction, like
1: no. Yeah. I wouldn't need. I wouldn't have to wake up in the morning and have to do a bottle of yeah. wine just to get get to get yeah. the DTS away or anything mm. like that. Very much kind of. I was a bit like a, a really mad roller coaster. There were days where I was just so happy and hyper, and everything's fine, and nothing's gonna happen, and you know, praise Jesus, all this shit, right? <laughs> and the next day, you know, down there, like, fuck everybody, fuck you fuck, <laughs> you, fuck you, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. I be like, proper, just so angry. Yeah. And uh, then eventually, when I got in the hospital, they explained that I actually, make, that makes perfect sense. You've actually got bipolar. Um, they diagnosed me and they put me on loads of meds mm-hmm. um, which didn't agree with me like, at all because like, some of the medication that I was on made me more chaotic mm-hmm. and more uh, yeah just mad Can you tell us a, a, just briefly a little mm-hmm. bit about
3: bipolar disorder what, what that actually is, the symptoms Um,
1: It affects everybody differently do you know what I mean for me it's where I get kind of periods of mania to the point where I feel like I'm bulletproof. You know, like, I'm just like, I'm, just yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like proper. Oh. And then, you're like, boom, right down. It's almost like having the fear. You know when you've had a rake a drink at the weekend or something, when you wake up on the Sunday morning, you're like, jeez, I can't remember, ranting. Mm. Did I kiss your one in the office? Like, you know, you're proper panicking <laughs> if you did something. And it's a bit like that for, for me anyway. And it was just like, that's what they diagnosed you with in the hospital uh, bipolar PTSD and Emotionally unstable personality disorder that's what they were the the labels that they they gave me when i was mm. in the uh, psychiatric care in in, in, in did, the in, in the UK did, did the medication help you at all yeah
3: the, i on medication today um, yeah 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 um i worked with somebody and he had bipolar disorder but it was diagnosed you know when he was in his 40s, like, mm. of course, the medication changed his life. You know?
1: All of Saved it. my life. Yeah, Saved my life because it was able, I was able to then manage it. So then I ended up on a really high dose and now I'm on quite a low dose. And I just manage that mm. daily. Um, and I still do a bit of talk and therapy.
9: For people, you had people who, Um, Like in terms of students in in universities, there's a lot more diversity now as well because there's a lot more, I suppose people have started to realize that people learn in different ways. So you would have a a lot of students who would be on the autistic spectrum disorder and some of them it actually, they enjoyed, uh, they much preferred the online learning because it was less social part Mm -hmm. of it. So they found it a little bit easier. There are students from low income families who need to work. They need to work to put themselves through education. So the fact that um, it, a lot of the lectures, most of the, all the lectures were recorded, it meant that they were able to watch lectures at times that fitted in with their lives. Mm. You have um, parents who are parenting alone, who are students, who have small children. So when their children were gone to bed at nighttime, they could catch up on their lectures and they weren't under pressure to be in university at 11 o'clock. And I suppose f- for them, it made it more equitable. Because if you were parenting alone and you can't make your lecture at 11 o'clock because one of your kids, I mean, anyone who's had small children or know kids are, are constantly sick, they take and then they take turns at getting sick. Um, you know, so you're thinking, oh, everyone else in, is, is in class now and they're all at the lecture and I'm missing it. I'm, and if you're coming from a place where you might be parenting alone, for example, you feel that extra pressure to be really, really good. So you feel like you have to, you know, maybe in a way that other people, other people might be happy to miss the odd lecture because they're tired or they're not feeling well. Whereas you you often find that students who have the biggest challenges actually push themselves harder and feel like they have to be better. So it made it more actual because they're not sitting at home going, oh my God, there's you know 80 people in class and i'm missing out i'm going to miss something what am i missing so it leveled the playing field for some people and um, then there were other people yeah where it they found it really difficult mm. you know they they particularly young people they were they i mean they, they missed out on experiences that you should be having when you're that age you know because i had them when college I was is age.
3: much more than learning in the lecture isn't it isn't yeah. the informal piece before like the experience of being on campus and the library For some young people it might be their
9: first time living away from home yeah. as well and that being able to put your hair down and and do things that you wouldn't watch parents to know about yeah. which are all very important parts of growing up as yeah, well yeah. so that, that bit is missed out the one thing i think that stood out to me is um like when when lockdown hit i was um we have a, a master's in applied psychology and there was a group of students on, on that master's and I'm one of the, the co-directors with Dr. Angela Veal and I felt so sorry for them. You know, they, mm. it's a one year course. It's a master's. A big part of the master's is placement yeah. and they were taken mm. off their placement. And it's a huge thing for their CVs. I mean, I was having sleepless nights about what that would mean for them and how quickly they bounced. They were really disappointed, mm. but how quickly they bounced back and how supportive they were of each other and looking out for opportunities for each other. Oh, have you seen this? That it suits you. That could be something you'd put on your CV. So, um, there were lots of challenges. Uh, I think a lot of people in the last 12 months have, you know, some people, their mental health has been impacted. Some people have said actually that they needed to step back yeah. and that actually their mental health improved. So I don't think it's been the same for everybody. I think the, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because, I, and I, I worked there, but I, 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 I you know, I, you possibly there's a bias, but I did find, I felt myself uh, that UCC very quickly put on a lot of um, supports and services for students. I, I, I suppose I can only talk about my own department in Applied Psychology. I know that my colleagues in Applied Psychology went above and beyond. Mm. And we were always on the, like, re, you know, students would email us and, they'd say they were struggling and then we'd ring them and see what had to be done to put in place in order to support them. When you go to, for our students in applied psychology, we want our students to get the best grades that they can get for them. No, we don't want students to be coming in and failing and, and we want them to achieve their potential. Um, mm. So, um, you know, I suppose I, I just know, you know, in our own department, my colleagues, how hard they worked to try and Make sure that
3: everybody was looked well, after. What's your thoughts on the the students got a big, um, they got a lot of bad press about this POP payment. Like there was a, a lot of media coverage around all the students that, that would have been working part time and getting 150 euros and now getting 300 euros on the POP. And there was this idea that students were fucking raking in the coin because mm-hmm. of COVID, you know what I mean? But yes, then, so
9: so it's not true. Yeah. So if you were earning 150 euros, you did not get a full f- POP payment. If you were earning 150 euros, you got 150 euros. Um, it, it, university is much more diverse now. And actually, in terms of the POP payment, there's only a very small percentage of people on the POP payment that are actually students. I have students who are mature students. They do not live at home. Um, they have been living independently for a long time. They work full time jobs down on top of their full-time education they get up at six o'clock in the morning and they stack shelves Mm. they come into college and then they go home and they go out and they deliver pizza and they do that to put themselves through university Mm. and covid shut down their their work but their university still kept going so they absolutely deserve money in the same way as anybody else who lost their employment most not most but an awful lot of students now um, have to work mm. in order to pay rent have to work in order to pay fees and they do that and they balance their their college life as well I think it's very unfair um, some of the commentary that's gone on ar- around young people just because you're 23 uh, doesn't mean that you don't have outgoings know. in the same way as I do when I'm 45 P- people are entitled to, to, to social welfare you're entitled yeah. to it um, and you can't discriminate against one group just because mm. of their age um, or because of the fact that they don't have a voice.
3: Yeah, that's true, like, isn't it? But a very yeah.
9: small percentage, a very small percentage of people are proper students. Yeah.
10: Well, if they kept back. myself, I would have went back. No, no. But they didn't. And then I said, I'd stay. Then drawn everything back over, going to a different land and then this and that. So then I stayed and... Um, so then a month later, my mother committed suicide. You what know, oh, was that like for you that time? It was tough, James. But were you
3: strong out at that time? I
10: wasn't strong out. I wasn't strong out, but I was dipping and oh, dabbling, i uh, you know. uh. Um, I never forget it, but I never forget it enough. So, this is where my head was at. Enough, so my my cell entrance. Um, all oh, to come out there. The chief wants you. I says, Tom, I'm getting the job that I was looking for. And he goes, come off to Timmy's cell. And I walked over from him and i opened the door I seen him in was crying. And I just goes, I kind of knew straight away, James. And I, whoa. And they said, stay there. And I says, no, I'll go back to my own cells, you know. Um And I did, but it was tough. I went off the rails I says, Dave. And then, you know, we got down to the funeral and... Um, seeing my man for a few hours. We didn't get to the funeral to see her lay at the rest. And when I got back, boy, I was there, saying, yeah, wouldn't do that for me, no, I'm doing nothing for them, mm. you know? And then, and then I just went head for leather on drugs, and you know? I, I was badly strung out in there. Mm. I was heavily, you know, I was up to everything. Do you know, when, at that, that time,
3: Timmy, mm. you're grieving for your mum inside, are you worried about your brother then as well? Like, are yeah. you detached from it, or how are you?
5: um no it, like i was i was dealing with my own stuff you yeah. know because i had a lot of regret as well because myself and my mother didn't have too much of a relationship uh, at the time and i was fortunate that the night before she took her life it was her birthday mm. she was it was her birthday on the second and she took her life on the sec the, the third and she rang tommy and tommy was talking to inside the class office on the landing and uh, i was just matter to be passing the landing at that stage and and, and Tommy calls me, he says, My mum's on the phone, I could go over and say hello to her You know, um my mum I see what was after happening was my mum was uh me and my Mum we were going through our own stuff, you know. Um and, and she she was she was she said she was seeing a counselor and, and I was seeing a counselor as well and I was I was dealing with a lot of different issues, you know, and, and I wasn't in a great place to be honest with you, you know. And um I spoke to her on the phone and, and you know, she was I said, mam, how are you getting on? And uh, Ken Morris, you know. Yeah, mm. take your time. I says, "How are you getting on?" She says, um, "I've seen the constable," and uh, that was that was a big deal for me.
3: Yeah. You know. But you were both on your healing journeys, like yeah. But I didn't Source <laughs> over the box of tissues, there, Sean.
5: I didn't. Sorry, lads. Oh boy. Fine. I didn't realise that it was it was yeah, gonna be yeah. the fucking last day we'd we a hero, you know, but because of because of the, the guilt and stuff I had from not having a relationship at the time, I wasn't able for it because I was in a bad way. But my my own mental health. Mm. I was destroyed. Yeah. You know. But at least you it, got to say how to It was good to have him on yeah. the landing, Do you know. He, he, even though he was breaking my heart half the time, I was like, running around the landing like trying to chase him to to get him up to air and fucking to get him up to the school to get him off the landings and stuff. You know, it was it was a difficult process, you know. Um, but like everybody loved him. I knew there was never going to fucking be anybody go near him or anything like that, but. Um, he was loved you know he got on with everybody and, and we ran a, a a really it was a mad and how many of that but we got on with all the lads i was doing my own thing you know and and there was one thing that always kind of always stood to me and and it was it was told to me inside me in before be, before i went into prison and it was like timmy um just always remember one thing and and they said people places and things you know and and, and and I didn't understand what that meant. People, places and things. And they said to me, like, people, stay away from people from your past. Stay away from people who are caught up in addiction and stuff like that, you know? Places, stay away from pubs, you know? And, and things, stay away from things that will get you back into the same kind of bother, you know, behaviors and stuff. And that's what I lived by every single day. I'd say people, places, things, people, places, things, people. And like for me, that was a big deal because, like, I had Tommy, three cells down on the landing for me, and it was like I had to stay away from my own brother because of 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 him dealing with his own shit, you not know, in addiction and. Uh, it was difficult and it was a lonely lonely fucking place to be honest with you but it was the best place for me at the time mm. you know and and um even for him you know like i i was offered an open prison after a 12 months or whatever and i declined because I, I needed to be there because i was getting a lot of help past the psychologist uh on the prison the counseling i was doing i was doing my junior short in the in, in the school a lot of personal development groups you know and and i and i was in the, the right place at that time you know but um it was tough for me it was tough on the landing you know and then john paul came up john paul the three of us were so on the same landing then you know but i kind of kept my distance from the boys i know what was going on but i didn't want to be in their faces fucking giving them shit do you know what i mean
3: well the people places and things like yeah. just happened to be your family members were some of the people that were the trigger and mm-hmm. you like, and that's a, a lot of people that be listening and watching can relate with that. Yeah. How do you, like, people placing things, relapse, prevention, that's the basics of it. But it's very hard when it's your family mm. is the people and your host might be the place. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like,
10: that's a very difficult
5: That happens a lot. That happens a lot. But, you know, it was tough. It was tough, like, as, because you're a cleaner then on the landing, you know, Um, and I was a cleaner, and I I, and I was using drugs right? But a fella might call and slip something underneath the door and tell you to drop it to another cell, and he's said, Fuck hell, that's completely, against... But if you don't do that, then like, you will be getting yourself into trouble in the cell in the in the prison. So, you know there was things like that, you know, but I just done what I had to do, you know what I mean? And to through get through it like and... Uh,
3: so do you know things obviously your your mother passed away, you're in another prison, the addiction is getting worse. How did you manage to get into recovery? Like um
10: it was all around me, James, so it was all around me. My family, my friends, everyone. I was like a lone soldier by on my own, you know? Uh, isolated, everything. Um, and it was just hitting rock bottom, James. But hitting rock bottom. Things were, I, I'll never forget it, but, um, It was cr- around the Christmas, yeah? And uh, me and another fellow, we were staying in the New yeah as you get go in the gates there there's a little like a security hut but it's an old, old building. Yeah. So uh, we were in there um and around the Christmas span in tattoos. I remember there, as you know me I'd always have me good clothes on for Christmas Day and what have you. But um I was in I was in there, nowhere to go, there, after pushing everyone around me that loved me away. Pushed them all away, but they, c- they couldn't deal with me no more. And I
0: remember
10: being in the there, and I never in my life felt so lonely. Mm. So lonely, but I, I just wanted to die. And that's where it comes to with the needles. Yeah. I remember taking a few tablets, and and uh, a lot of fellas would have had dread dreaded him. Yeah. Drawn, um, and i tend them, put it in, wanting to go over, wanting yeah. to die. That's where it was. Mm. And uh, I remember when he put it into my hand and he was, No, no, I'd be fucking killed. No, no, fucking do it. And he done it in nine days like that. I'm going over now. Yeah, Will I, I go over now? Nothing happened. Another fella came up and I got him to do the exact same. That was two of my first times, right? Mm. Do it, do it. Nothing happened. So, and, and then i done it once or twice after that. Same a lot of things wanting to go, over, wanting to die, and I just I had enough. I, I had enough. I couldn't. I couldn't keep on. I couldn't take me own life because I was afraid, afraid of it. I I prayed not to wake up the next morning. do not how many nights, mm. praying to go to sleep and day. and it was game over. And um, I was in the house. I was on Medidone, and I I, I went from. I have a host to Blackpool. And then I went from Blackpool to George sick, "Uh, surgery. And I did the doctor up there. and I says, look, I, I want to get into treatment. Give me your rings. I'll ring them, you, I'll ring them with you. rang Francis Pham. Mm-hmm. and rang her with me. Give me four your rings. And we'll have you in there as soon as. I actually done it that time. Done it by uh, previous before that. I tried to get in there as well, James. Mm. And i done the orange, done everything. Came, they rang me and said, You won in Sunday. I couldn't handle it, James.
5: Mm.
10: What was the first thing I went to? I went away and used and rang on back. i after after using. I couldn't. Mm. Oh, I couldn't. My I one ready. I, I, I said, But I didn't use heroin. To take i have after taking tablets. We'll have to put you back for two weeks. That was back then. But that went on for a year and a half and then and then all the christmas stuff came up and draw, you know, so it was after that i said that's it, it came over mm. i remember so, you rang me a few days before you
3: was out to go in mm-hmm. and uh if you if you would ask me straight up would i have believed you would have sustained it no mm. because of you had the opportunity before and you didn't yeah, take it. Yeah. And it was like, Are you gonna self sabotage yourself?
10: Are you gonna you have an opportunity here now are you gonna use or I I tell you now how hard so it took was your chance. how how hard it was for me to get treatment. I couldn't get a day clean, Jeff. I could not get a day clean. You know yourself you you've been there, especially around heroin. And I could not get a day clean and um I was giving bogey all right, you know. But that that's the only way and I, I've been drawn the way you're you, you'll be very clever mm-hmm. in ways to get around things on her and you'll be professional. Yeah. So <laughs> I bought myself a mug, you know, the coffee mugs, and I'd have it with pipe and water so by the time i get from that Nahini down I'd have the piss inside and that. Keep it warm. Like. Keep it warm, yeah. And I'd go down, and just before i go in, I'd be taking out the urine. The i saw sure there was times she was blowing my hands and all by taking the urine, it was that hot. <laughs> so, it was. A so bottle of tea. <laughs> and, and I kind of think she knew I needed it, but, uh. but I just could not get clean by And uh, I remember giving the phone, and she goes, Congratulations. Mm. Congratulations. Um, we, we'll, we'll give them that No one will you get the thing? And uh, I used up to the minute, James. Used heroin up to the minute that I knew I got the phone call that I had three. I, I had a week. Yeah. I had a week to get it out of system. To get it out of my system, and what I had to do was get tablets for the whole week. I was on yeah. my own medication to go in there, but I just bought every tablet I could, yeah. trying to take me away from the heroin. Yeah. And and um, I remember I was so out of it all week that Norman thought I was going to make it. Norman, Norman thought I was going to go. I'm out of my head now, round the place, getting arrested the night before I went in. I remember, getting, I remember going into the gas station after doing something in town and uh, getting arrested. And they brought me up, with saying, please don't lock me up, I'm going to treatment, in the mum, they were saying, do you have this fella? Yo, there was fucking head. Mm-hmm. But uh, they left me out, and one of our friends, Sean, I, I was outside Sean's at 7 o'clock the next morning, out of my natural mind on tablets. Out of it. And um, he goes, time, either. <laughs> oh, I loom. You oh, all right, I was on deck door. He goes, Am I wasting my time going up here? I says I'm ten, you There's no Halloween in me. It's all tablets. Everything else broke. <laughs> everything else but. And um he goes, right, right, come on. I went into the back of his car, but it was in the back, curled up in the back seat, uh-huh. and uh, up the road. That was the start of it. That was the start of it, boy. That was the start of it. So it's called living
11: on the streets, yeah. Bear with me now, no pressure.
8: Living on the streets, night and day He sees them, but they don't see him And maybe it's the way to poverty Fighting back his hunger and his pain while he sits there listening to the morning rain
11: As it ricochets off shop window panes,
8: People passing by, heads held high They'll stop, they look and they'll stare with no worries, not a care. And no time closes in, and again, he cannot win. Tomorrow may be a better day.
11: Living on the streets is no price. The pay
8: he still bears the pain of his old man's ways his mother rests her soul He's here, but alone And now he calls the Dublin streets his home And is he just a man without a name Living on the streets without a tiger's claim my time here again, tomorrow may be then. It may be a better day.
11: Living on the streets is no price to pay. On the streets anyway, yeah. Don
3: Paddy, I was thinking of Damien Dempsey.
11: Yeah, the too. hand was the hand was locking up there. I get, I get. I'm still, um, I'm still a novice when it comes to it, like, you know performing up front of the you table.
5: actually for somebody that's playing the guitar for the length of time you are you're actually very very good yeah. and you have a very 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 good voice yeah. i
11: appreciate it. a few people, look a lot of a lot of people have been saying paddy keep it up you're very good but yeah. you know when you hear yourself back like i'm sure yeah. you know when you first set up as a podcast and you like do we
4: really sound it's like, big like that <laughs> yeah do we
11: yeah. really fucking sound like that uh, but no much appreciate much appreciate
3: but you know what we were on the late later La- show a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and. Uh, We'd fun, you know, we were relaxed and we were confident. But a couple of years ago, when we started out, it would have been a way different. But just a bit of self acceptance thinking, you know, you know man, I am who I am. Fuck it, isn't it? That's one. Yeah, that's and one thing I, I enjoy. It, to, yeah, just yeah. that's it, like.
11: There a couple of months ago, there was a talent show up in the up in the church, and uh, usually I'm just used to singing in front of four or five prisoners mm-hmm. in the cell. But there was a whole bleeding group of prisoners up there, you know, and I sang four songs. I sang "Ride right On, a song that I wrote for my daughter called...
3: Christy, Christy Moore was a big fan of Moore, right on.
11: Yeah, I yeah, love all his stuff. My dad loved him, he loved all that. Yeah. Loved him. Um, so I sang that one, Living On The Streets, um, Yellow Feathered Birdie that I wrote for my daughter, um, Zombies. Um, what was the other one I sang? What was the other one I sang? Zombies, Yellow Feathered Birdie, "Ride right On, And On The Streets, yeah, them four songs. After it, I didn't even know I was at the getting a standing ovation. Mm. But everyone was like, Paddy, yeah, I'm in Delhi. But, mm. you know, I suppose every musician. Um, you wrote a out. song for your daughter? Uh, yeah, I wrote a song for my daughter called Yellow Feathered Body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Has it, like, a little whistle and all. Do you want to sing it? I've no plectrum.
5: You need plectrum, is it a yeah, picking or, or.
11: No, there's no picking it. There's. Um, I even don't know a taster. If, if you had a taster of it. A taster? Okay. So.
8: There's a yellow feather birdie that sings all night long And he sits in the garden from dusk till dawn Oh, I don't know where he's from But it seems he has no home I can tuck you between my blanket for warmth. Because I know, oh, I know, I know How it feels to be alone Oh, yellow-feathered birdie It's maybe here you belong This yellow-feathered birdie He makes me feel young And while we play in the garden Oh, he'll chirp out a song But it seems he has no one No one else for his love song Can you tuck me beneath your feathers we will go? We can sing some soothing songs We can sing them all day long Oh yellow feathered birdie Won't you sing me a song? There's a yellow feather birdie that sings all night long And he sits in the garden from dusk till dawn Oh, I don't know where he's from But it seems he has no home I can tuck you between my blanket for want Because I know, oh, I know, I know How it feels to be alone Oh yellow feathered birdie It's maybe here you belong This yellow feathered birdie He makes me feel young And while we play in the garden Oh he'll chirp out a song But it seems he has no one No one else for his love song. Can you tuck me beneath your feathers will go? We can sing some soothing songs. We can sing them all day long. Oh, yellow feathered birdie, won't you sing me a song?